0: Welcome to the Faith Dialogue podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Bear of Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. We're continuing today in chapter 4 of the Acts of the Apostles, and Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. Now, this is an area of what's called Galatia. It's presently present-day Turkey. And... Paul and Barnabas are on the, the first missionary journey. Um, they initially were sent off from Antioch, and then they went to Antioch, Pisidia, then to Iconium, and now they're in Lystra. Our, our, our title for our sermon today is Paul Gets Stoned, and that has nothing to do with illegal drugs. Paul is going to be stoned uh, by the Jews. They've been persecuting him, they've been after him, and they're going to stone him and leave him for dead here in Lystra. Um, The context up to this point in in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas arrived in Lystra, started preaching the gospel. Paul saw a man, and he discerned, God gave him the ability to understand that the man had faith to be healed. Uh, God obviously told him to go and heal the man. Paul did that, and literally the crowd went nuts. Uh, They want to make Paul and uh and Barnabas uh, as gods they believe that Barnabas is Zeus that's come down from the heavens and that and and uh Paul uh, they call Hermes because he's a messenger and Paul was doing most much of the speaking and that's where we pick it up uh, today so we're going to start reading uh from Acts 14 um uh in verse 14 And, and by the way I want you to to listen for the pattern which we've Uh, said, we've developed now in the second part of the book of Acts. And that pattern with these missionary journeys is we're going to see a response, then rejection, and then revival. So watch for that pattern as we, we begin today. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude crying, And saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with you, the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. You know, so it's interesting. So the, these Greeks come out, they identify that Paul and Barnabas are, the gods came down from heaven. And, and what's their first reaction? Well, Paul and Barnabas, their first reaction is to tear their clothes. And they did this out of an instinctive reaction. This was ingrained in the Jewish people. Uh, it's something they did um not because it was convenient but because they heard they heard blasphemy this is a a knee-jerk reaction it happens automatically among the jews it's now it's it's wonderful when you think about it that this is their their first reaction this is their natural response You know it's it's better than the natural reaction that many of us would have i have to i have to say that this idea of of being honored of being called gods of of people wanting to to bow down before you uh, you know that that'll get to your pride but the bible says that pride comes before a fall you know, pride's a, a really ugly thing. You, when you see pride in individuals, particularly when you see pride in the in 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 uh, in a pastor, uh, when you see it in one of your leaders, it's 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 not a it's not a pleasant thing to look at. Um, think about what is happening, however. Uh, first of all, Paul has he- healed a man. Uh, now, Paul hasn't done this. I mean, he's probably done this a few times, but this is still an unusual event. Anytime there's a healing, this is something that, that is, that's very unique. Uh, Jesus healed many, many people, but I'm sure even for Jesus, that's not just a, a common everyday occurrence. This is, a, this is a unique event. And it's something you really don't get used to. Uh, for Paul and Barnabas, was, this was still relatively unusual. But, but God uses us. And God uses us as long as we have a, a humble and a contrite heart when, when we start getting puffed up when we think sometimes that the the glory or the accolades that we're getting is because of our, our own efforts you know that that leads to a fall and I love it that that Paul is, is basically is basically humble he, he's showing here that his first reaction is to is to is to re- render his clothes um, now, the point is this, is that, you know, Jesus was probably the most humble person that ever lived. Um, he, to be God and to humble yourself, to be born as a babe in Bethlehem is, is a very uh, humbling thing. And it's a wonderful virtue that, that Jesus demonstrates for us because it's a thing that he wants us to imitate as well. It's an amazing quality. Uh, if people see it in you, that's admirable. So Paul and Barnabas resist the opportunity to let pride get the best of them, even for a moment. And remember, pride is, is truly a, a disaster. Uh, and, and notice at first, uh, they don't even really know what's going on. In verse 14, they finally found out what's going on, and they say, um, they tore their clothes, and they ran to the people, and they said, sirs, what are you doing? You know, let's realize what's happening. The town is planning on having a ceremony. They're going to sacrifice to the gods. They've got a big ox, and they've they've adorned it with flowers, and they're ready to sacrifice this ox for the people on behalf of Paul and Barnabas. That's why Paul is yelling, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this. We are also like you. We are men. They tore their clothes, and then as, as I said, Tearing their clothes, rendering their garments is, is a very Jewish thing. It's a sign of great anguish. It's something that, that David did when he heard that his, that his son had been killed. Um, it's, it's something you do, a king would do when there's a, a massive defeat. We actually saw it back during the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is in front of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. And and Jesus tells Caiaphas, because Caiaphas is questioning about who he is and why he has this authority. And Jesus says this, he says, Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus makes it very clear who he is. He's not only the Messiah, he is the, the Son of God. He is deity in the flesh. Well, that kicked off the knee-jerk reaction for Caiaphas as well, the high priest. The next verse, it says, then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. And this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas did here. Now, the only thing is, is that Caiaphas was a fool, but Barnabas and and, uh, Paul are doing this correctly. Uh, They want to stop the desecration. They don't want to be exalted. They don't want to be deified. You know, if you remember last week, I talked a little bit about, about f- fake healers. And healers will use a loud voice and they'll say, be healed or rise up like, like Paul or Barnabas did. Well, let me tell you, another way of looking at phonies is, is when they want to, to take all the honor for themselves. You know, and all too often in our churches, there's a group of churches where you actually see what's called pastor worship where the people are coming for the pastor and not for the, the message. Uh, when they, they want to literally take the pastor and carry him around on poles and open doors for him and, and almost deify the pastor as if the pastor has some power. There's no power that we pastors have. The power is all 100% in the gospel uh, that we preach. So let's continue and see what Paul and Barnabas do after they, they tear their clothes. Verse 15... It says we also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven the earth the sea and all the things that are in them. You know these are these are very strong words. Paul just said that he literally said your gods are useless. In a few years, when more and more people in the Roman Empire are Christians, Christians will actually be saddled with the, with the word atheist, In the early church, this was one of the issues is that you see the the Christians believed in the one true God. They didn't believe in all of these these Roman gods or in this case, these Greek gods. They didn't bow down and worship Zeus or Apollo or any of these gods. They, They believed in the one true God because they wouldn't worship the gods of the Rome of Rome the romans actually called them atheists they were without god they didn't believe in god it's interesting isn't it when you think about it that christians would be called um um, atheists but but paul here is and he's so consistent he's so consistent all through all of his writings as well as what we see here in the acts of the apostles he's a tremendous witness for jesus christ He, he never never varies he never wavers. He, he basically says, we have a living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all the things that are in them. I'm actually quoting what's being said. Now see, the Greeks had gods for all those things. Zeus was actually the god of the sky and the heavens. That's what they, they called Barnabas, was Zeus. The Greek god Gaia was the god of the earth, literally mother nature. Poseidon was the god of the sea. And Paul says, no, we have a living God, who's the God of of all of these things. Paul told them that all of the blessings that they have, all of the blessings that we have, uh, come from one true God, who who lives in the heavens. It's not Zeus. It's not any of these other gods that you bow down and worship and, and sacrifice to. It's the one true God. You notice when, when Paul is preaching to these pagans, to these Gentiles, he's not using the Bible as a reference. That I'm sure Paul felt handicapped that way because he was a tremendous orator and he understood the Old Testament scriptures. But these are not Jewish people. The Jewish people, you can use the scriptures and you can talk to them and you can reason with them. But the, these pagans know nothing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So let's continue. And here's where we we get to our main point. Uh, Paul is going to be, be stoned. Verse 19, it says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas, to Derby. And, and again, this, this passage is so matter-of-fact. And, and it's simply stated that the Jews came, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. Uh, what we miss, however, is the intensity of the persecution that this early church was beginning to face. I, I read this passage as well as we see some more contemporary examples of the passion and the persistence of the enemies of Christ. And I wonder sometimes why those of us in the body of Christ wouldn't have the same passion and the same same persistence that it seems like our enemies have. Um, to, To be able to preach the gospel Uh, In those areas, those strange areas where we become enemies, that that takes a tremendous amount of courage. And we need people to go and to to face face the enemy and be able to tell them who Jesus Christ truly is. You see, these Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, they weren't content just to see Paul leave. Talk about persistence. They followed him and they brought their hostility and their persecution with them. The trip from Antioch and Iconium to Lystra was more than 100 miles, and this is long before uh, cars and highways and trains and automobiles. Uh, these people were, were dedicated. Uh, they would get their merit ban, uh, merit plan, or merit badge, uh, for this, this evil plan. And notice it says that they persuaded the multitudes. In legal terms, this is known as inciting to riot," uh, that led to the stoning of Paul. They were able to convince these, these Greeks, these, these Greeks that were ready to sacrifice um, a bull to, to Paul and to Barnabas, to, to call them gods. They were able to convince these, these people to actually stone them to death instead. Um, the passage for today continues and it says, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing to him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, he revived and went back to the city. Again, Dr. Luke doesn't give us any more clues as to what happens here. Uh, In any case, it was a miracle uh, that Paul survived. We don't know whether he was actually killed and this was a resurrection or whether he was just uh, very, very uh, badly wounded and God healed him. Uh, Either way, the stoning was unsuccessful. Later, Paul would write, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25, Paul says, "Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, most likely referring to this event. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep." You know, Paul faced tremendous persecution and tremendous hardship. That's why he's a he's a great example for us in this sermon series that we call unstoppable. I want you to notice that when Paul was revived, he did not flee the city and these people that attacked him. Instead, he immediately went back into the same city. If if they think he was a god before, uh, wait till they see him walking around after they stoned him. I I jest when I say that because Paul doesn't want to be considered a god. That's the last thing that Paul wanted. Uh, But he goes right back into the city. He's been driven out of two places before, and I think he went back just to show that he was not going to be driven out of the city that easy. Uh, he was going to be a master of his own destiny he was going to go where god wanted him to go notice verse 20 continues and says and the next day he departed with barnabas to derby let's continue reading verse 21 and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in their faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of god so again Paul, after leading, leaving Lystra, now on his own terms, he went with Barnabas to Derby. And again, we see the pattern continue. He made many disciples. We see this pattern of response, rejection, and revival continued in the book of Acts. Notice these new believers in Christ in Derby, what they're called. They're called disciples. And, and I really like that term. I really do. I, I, I like the term disciple. It seems to fit so much better uh, for what it takes to really truly be a follower follower of Jesus Christ you see if you're a disciple uh, that, makes, that that means you're someone different you're you're actually following the lead of Jesus Christ a disciple means to sit at the somebody to sit at the feet of somebody and and learn you're a disciple being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means that you're responding to the request by Jesus to follow him Those two words are actually what Jesus said to a number of who we know as the 12. He came to these fishermen and he said, follow me. He said he came to the fishermen and he said, I'll I'll let you become fishers of men. But to each of these disciples, he said, follow me. It's a simple request. But being a disciple means that we're going to, to follow Jesus. These men that would later be known as the apostles or the 12 responded to the call. They left their jobs, their houses, their possession, and even their families to follow Jesus. You know, we're, we're so blessed. We live in a, in a country uh, that we can become fully devoted followers, disciples of Jesus Christ uh, without, uh, without losing everything around us, our families, our homes, our, our jobs, our careers. As long, and this is the caveat, as long as we loosen our grip On the world. You see, we don't want to hold the things of the earth so tightly that God can't use us. We've got to hold things very loosely in our hands. And I don't care what they are, everything is much more important. I mean, there's nothing that's more important than following Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, we're also very, very fortunate that as a member of the body of Christ, even when you first believe, you can become a member of a a church with leaders, with people around you that have been Christians long, long time that you can ask questions to. They can help disciple you. They can bring you along in the faith. They have applied the word of God to their life. They have the ability to guide and to lead the church, all under the direction of the great shepherd of our souls, none other than Jesus Christ. Let's continue to read. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adela, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had completed. You know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us what's known as the the Great Commission. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I will be with you until the very end of the age. You know, one of the Christian organizations that uses this term disciple, and also talks about making disciples, uh, is a great organization called the Navigators. I had the Opportunity and the great privilege to be able to meet uh, to meet uh, Dr. Jerry White, who led the Navigators uh, for a number of years, up until I think 1984-1985. Um, this organization, I'm sorry, until 2005. This organization works alongside churches to help train Christians to disciple Christians. They identify three marks. This is from the this is from the Navigators. They identify three marks. Of a true christian it has to do with identity obedience and fruit so you can ask yourself am i a true disciple now following the three marks of the navigators we would ask it this way am i willing to be openly identified with the person of jesus christ next am i seeking to be obedient to the word of christ in my everyday life and the third mark is this am i bearing fruit in my work as a follower of Jesus Christ by way of a Christ-like character and by influencing the lives of others. That's see, that's what a true disciple is. He's, he's making a difference in the world. He's bearing fruit. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ needs true disciples because we need to continue to influence others. We need to continue to plant more churches. We need to travel to remote areas to be able to bring the gospel to a lost, a lost world. This is exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. Verse 23 says, so when they appointed elders, this is Paul and Barnabas, so they went back to these cities that they had just preached in and they appointed elders in every church. And they did this with prayer and fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You know, these, these elders were, were new believers. This is not an ideal situation. This is not what we do in our, our present-day churches. In our churches today, when we're looking for elders, when we're looking for pastors, when we're looking for leaders, we want, we're looking for people that are mature, people that have the experience, people that have years of experience of being able to follow Christ and applying the gospel to their life. But Paul and Barnabas don't have that luxury. They've got to basically pray, and they've got to do the very best they can with what God has given them. So the question is, how could this new church possibly succeed? I mean, these, these elders, all of these leaders are, are brand new believers. But yet it did survive. Not only did it survive, but it prospered and it grew. Because the head of the church is Jesus Christ. This is the, the body of Christ in action. This is exactly what happened. So let's finish up. Dr. Luke is going to give us some information about the rest of their journey. So we're going to start at verse 24. It says and after they had passed through Pisidia they came to Pamphylia now when they had preached the word in Perga they went down to Attala and there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which was completed Paul and Barnabas in essence backtracked and returned pretty much the same way they had come uh, and on the journey they preached Uh, they strengthened they they made new acquaintances and they revived old acquaintances people that they had met on the journey going up the mountain they're now talking to and preaching and encouraging on the way down and then they returned to their home in antioch their home church this is the church that had sent them out on the journey by laying hands on them and encouraging them. Now back in Antioch, the chapter concludes. Verse 27 says, Now when they had come together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that, they had o- that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I want you to remember the pattern we said before. A response rejection followed by revival now there's there's another lesson we need to learn in this last couple of verse and that is that we need to rest after reporting all that god had done in opening the doors of faith to the gentiles the scripture says they stayed a long time with the disciples this is rest this is a respite rest, rejuvenation and the, the respite. It, it's basically a Sabbath every missionary needs to be able to come back home to not only report back all that God is doing that strengthens the, the rest of the believers that had encouraged and prayed and are using their financial support on behalf of the missionary. So you get this good report but they also need to to relax they need to rest they need to get their uh, they need to get their tank, topped off, as we say. They need to to get back and and relax and allow God to rejuvenate them. Um, It's basically a Sabbath rest. You know, God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the Sabbath. Did God need to rest? Of course course not. God doesn't need to rest. But he did it in order to show us a a pattern, another pattern. The Jewish people took it very seriously. God told them to, that every seven days they would have a, a Sabbath. And we need that Sabbath, whether you know it or not, we need that Sabbath in our life as well. Now, in the New Testament, we're not told that we have to go to church on a specific day. Some people go on Sunday, some people go on Saturday. There are people here in Celebration in Orlando that work on Saturdays and Sundays, and thank God that there are services that they can watch online, they can go to church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. There's other ways to be able to get rejuvenated, but all of us need to take advantage of an opportunity to be able to rest rest get a respite relax and get fired up to go back out again there's a song that says this i love it i would sing it for you if i could sing but i'm just going to say it it's to god be the glory great things he has done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yield his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. That's the idea resting from your labors, allowing God to do in you what you couldn't possibly do in yourself. God bless. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. to be... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.